that could be a hot take uh, to wrestle with this next year is what if we focus less on increasing personalization and more on increasing aspiration you know, and inspiration in our communications? And let's nail that because we don't have that MarTech stack yet. You will need that eventually. Like, don't, don't, I don't want anyone to hear me wrong, right? This is not the end, but I, but I wonder if this is sort of like the next step that most, most should take. Hey there, and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. Each week, the Enrollify podcast equips you with insights into how the latest trends in marketing and technology are affecting today's enrollment marketers. Every episode is designed to inspire new creative ideas for how to optimize the resources you do have to generate the results that you need. I'm your host, Zach Cruz. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody, Zach here, and I am ecstatic to announce that we have launched not one, but two new shows on the Enrollify Podcast Network. And I want to quickly tell you about these two shows before we dive into today's episode. So the first is called Generation AI, and Generation AI is your go-to resource for navigating the incredible revolution that we're living through with respect to AI right now. If you are working in higher ed and you want to increase your AI literacy, you want to understand how to make AI a little bit more practical for your day-to-day. If you're a marketer, you're an admissions professional, you want to better understand how to leverage these tools to work smarter and not just harder, then you'll want to tune in wherever you get your podcast. It's hosted by none other than Artis Kadu, the founder and CEO of Element 451, and JC Benia, who is the chief data officer at VaynerMedia. These two are experts in the space. They literally were working on natural language models back at NYU way back when, before anyone knew what ChatGPT was. This is a must-listen-to podcast, and you can find all the details in the show notes of this episode below. The second podcast is called the Edudata Podcast, and the Edudata Podcast is a no-fluff show that transforms the complex data landscape of higher education into very clear, very actionable insights. It's designed for everyone, from seasoned administrators to curious enthusiasts. Jamie Boggs and Timothy Davis, their engagement analyst at Element 51, host the show. It's absolutely fun. It's really riveting. It's a quick, simple show. You'll walk away from every episode feeling like you understand a little bit more how to make more impact from the data that you are collecting on your current students, your prospective students, your alumni, and more. Again, if you want to subscribe to the Edudata podcast, you can find all the info for how to do so in the show notes below. All right, guys, check out these two podcasts. Let us know what you think about the shows. And without further ado, welcome to today's episode. Alrighty, friends, we are live. Mallory and Gil, welcome to the pod. How are you both doing today? I'm doing great, Zach. Good morning. I'm lovely. Good morning. Well, I'm thrilled because we, Gil, we did this last year and maybe also the year before. I feel like this has just become like an annual tradition where we get Gil Rogers on the Enrollify podcast talking about trends for the next year. And it just felt fitting to to do it again, but of course include, you know, Mallory. Mallory, I know that you and Gil go way back and uh, have loads of uh, experience working together, literally at the same company, and then also just being friends in the industry for a long time. So the agenda today is simple. It, it's all about like hot takes, predictions, trends for 2024 that we think are pertinent to our higher ed marketing listeners. So thank you both for taking the time to be here. And I'm excited to ruffle some ruffle some feathers. Let's do it, Zach. We've got a lot of hot takes to get through. <laughs> I will say ruffling feathers is an endorsable skill on my LinkedIn. So if you want to go on my LinkedIn <laughs> and endorse me for that, that's totally fine. <laughs> uh, dude, you you've become like quite the master of of LinkedIn, actually. Is especially I mean, you've always you've always been really good at social, but I I've been seeing, you know, you're cyclical with your LinkedIn like posting. You get like really good, then you kind of like disappear for a little bit, then you come back with a bunch of bangers. Um, so actually, maybe Gil, we'll start with you here. What's uh, what's like a hot take you have going into this next year, or or something that you think folks should be thinking more about as we as we step into 2024? Yeah, I I mean, I think LinkedIn will be dead. Um, that's one. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, um, <laughs> Mike drop. <laughs> we're just going to turn off the internet in 2024. <laughs> There's no internet in 2024 at all. Everyone has to go back to just 
traveling, visiting high schools, getting French fries thrown at them in the cafeteria, all those sorts of things, right? <laughs> and marketing departments will just buy every billboard down the I-95 corridor. That's it. That's all we're doing next year. No, in all, in all seriousness, though, I do believe one of the things, and you know, I've talked about this for years, is this, you, you mentioned cyclical, right? There's this all these new things that we can do and then there's a kind of return to normalcy and all these things that we can do and then a return to normalcy. And I think there will be probably a rise in non-digital marketing channels uh, when we think about how we try to reach students. And I, and I think that's just a natural kind of byproduct of, you know, still kind of feeling the post-COVID pandemic, trying to, you know, shift budgets to places that were familiar and comfortable. Um, but I also think that mm -hmm. there's going to be just a need to try to differentiate a little bit more. I think we've kind of saturated the the digital markets in some respects. When you look at, I mean, I, I'm not even a student and I, I look at my email inbox of the amount of spam that I just get from different, you know, sales companies and consulting companies and, and all that sort of stuff. And students getting, you know, 25, 30 colleges a day, sending them two or three emails it's not sustainable anymore. Right. And I think we have to be more creative yeah. with the way that we reach students and, and, you know, it's, you can shift budget to do those sorts of things. And I think it's become more meaningful to get a thoughtful, not just a print piece, but a thoughtful package with information or something that is useful to a student than to just kind of go the, the old, you know, just large list and just blast out content approach. Um, so hopefully we see a rise in non kind of digital engagement yeah. with meaningful content and meaningful resources uh, versus the just going back to the approach of old. Well, if we if we think about, OK, why did digital marketing rise so so quickly? Well, it was all these new social media channels happened all roughly within a handful of years of each other. And then the web got better, right? We got responsive web design. And then all of a sudden we got social media influencers and, and that whole wave. And all of this became very measurable and trackable and giving marketers access to a level of return on investment uh, that they could report all the way up to their board or their cabinet. And this happened all very quickly within maybe, you know, quickly is relative, but within about a decade's worth of time. So in higher ed, that's very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Facts. But we're, we're three marketers here, right? Like we think about our own day to day. Like when I have to go report on the analytics or the data, it is 99% of the time through digital channels, because that's where I can most accurately measure all of these things. Mm. So why did we see this rise? Because it's attributable, mm. right? So we think about the stuff Gil's talking about, the, the beautiful print booklet that feels really important because it's on thick cardstock and has gorgeous imagery and, and every word was painstakingly selected or the out of home advertising in the airport or along the 95 corridor. You cannot measure the eyeballs on on mm. those things. You can't measure the average time spent or the, you know, the unique number of people who have seen that as easily as you can measure all of these digital channels. So if you are the CMO at an institution and you are constantly being asked to do more with less and you have to constantly report on your outcomes in new, different, and more robust ways to your president and the board, you're going to start to lean on the things that give you that data. And that's digital. Yeah. Now, I Gil, completely agree with you because I think there's going to be this shift back towards the print, the out of home. We've already started to see that this past year, but the challenge that that is going to provide is the attribution and being able to say, okay, when you compare apples to apples to those digital ads that you're running on, uh, you know, you name it social network, how are marketers going to compare apples to apples? And so I think that this trend is going to happen, but it's going to cause a challenge yeah. where now we are on the hook for reporting with the same robustness of things that you mm -hmm. just truly can't measure the same way. Yeah. You know what's coming to mind for me right now? I'm sure you guys have similar social feeds right now, but, it, and this is like some industry talk here, but like 
our mutual friend Seth Odell sends out his like holiday swag every year. And like my, yes. my like Twitter and like LinkedIn feeds, it's like every other post is like, a, oh, I got my Kanahoma swag and, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and it's, and I think the reason for that, a lot of companies send out swag, but like, you know, Seth has done an incredible job of prioritizing quality. He's got like his coffee, like he, he's built a, a little bit of like a, like hype cycle around like what's the Canahoma swag going to be this year, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so what you're saying, Mallory, and I think what you were uh, heading on to Gil is it's almost like in 2024, marketers need to think about how do you create Instagram worthy experiences in the mailbox? Like when, when somebody gets something in the mail, how do you make it so incredible that people can't help but post about it on Instagram or TikTok or, or, or whatever. And I think that, that to your point, Mallory, that's where some of that attribution comes in is like the metric you use is, hey, are people excited to post about physical crap that we're sending them, right, about our institution? And if the answer to that is like, yes, and if that, you know, if that share of, of, uh, of social increases organically from people sharing content about your institution over a dedicated period of time, that's perhaps one way you could measure the effectiveness of your piece or, 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 or your package. Yeah. And I think just a couple of, couple of quick points on there is one. So Zach, you used a really good technical marketing term called cheap crap, right? And that's, <laughs> you know, for people who aren't familiar, what we're really talking about is experience marketing here, right? Where people that experience of opening the box of engaging with the content and resharing of that content. I remember my, my first director of marketing role at a startup, I was very, very cost conscious and I got the most, I'll use the term affordable coffee mugs that we could send out to clients around the holidays time, but they were crappy. Right. And the our CEO got pissed yeah, yeah. because she said, I don't want our brand associated with cheap crap, right? And so that was a lesson learned for me very early in my career that, you know, I'll invoke Seth Odell one more time for the second the second time in two minutes of the podcast. But, you know, I remember him posting a while back that, you know, when you win, nobody cares what the cost was, right? And so mm -hmm. it's going to come to a point where, you know, we we need to we need to make the investments that we know are going to increase that share of social increase that you know equity with our audience because and this isn't just not just recruitment advancement you know and alumni relations this is all it's all experience marketing now right and so we need to move in that direction to yeah. make it a more meaningful experience and budget be damned on some of it right like you have to make investments to to see a return yeah no i couldn't agree more and uh i think that you know, in in terms of other topics, I want to make sure that we get into right now that are we've sort of been like just introduced to in 2023, and it'll actually just be accelerated in 2024. Is the role that AI and specifically generative AI tools play in the day to day life of a marketer? And so I, I want to. There's a lot we could talk about here. I, I think a hot take I have is that over time, these generative AI tools, as they continue to get better and better. And as institutions grow their AI literacy and marketers working at these institutions just get more comfortable with these tools, understand prompting better, understand how these tools integrate and communicate with each other, I think we're actually going to see a decline in outsourced budget to agencies. The, I guess the hot take is we'll see agencies get fired in 2024. And, and maybe that's a little bit premature, but I, but I do think what an agency used to be able to charge for a 500, 700 word blog post, you just can't charge that today. People scoff at those numbers. And, you know, I come from 10 years in agency, Mallory, you were an agency, Gil, you've dabbled. So you guys know this to be true. Like when ChatGPT can get a blog post written in seconds, that's 70% of the way there. And you just need to tweak it for the next 30%. And obviously over time, it'll get smarter. Custom GPTs will not enable you to get blogs that are closer to 80, 90% of the way of the way there. Agencies can't charge, you just can't charge $1,000 for that anymore, which is what we used to charge, right? And so I think that as these tools get smarter, as, as people get more comfortable using them, it's gonna have a really significant bearing on what gets outsourced. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Any, any additional riffs on, on that topic? 
Yeah, I think 2024 is the year of AI's creative awakening. If I could like dub 2024 anything, that would be it. Mm. I think this year it was the rise of awareness in AI, the the beginnings of testing things out and experimenting and waking up one morning and saying, oh, I guess I could use it for that too, right? Like this was the year of figuring out all the use cases and then starting to to dabble. And I think that uh, at the beginning, if I think a year ago from here, like we were all maybe worried that AI was going to start replacing us. Mm. And I think we're going to be moving past that in 2024 to this more commonplace creative AI-driven content. And as marketers, like you said, these custom GPTs are going to get better and better and better. So maybe today that first draft is 70%, but maybe a month or two from now, it's actually going to be 99%. Yeah. And so I think that seeing this rise to empower us as humans, as content creators, not replace us is where we're going to be shifting our focus. Now, I don't know that marketing agencies are going to be getting fired left and right next year. <laughs> I'll say I feel I feel like there's certain offerings, like you said, the creation of a 500 board blog post for a thousand dollars. There are definitely offerings that agencies are going to have to start rethinking. And if I were still employed by an agency, I think my number one focus right now going into next year would be to figure out how to maybe AI proof my services mm. or showcase to my customers how I am using AI to rapidly enhance the value I'm bringing to them. Maybe that doesn't mean changing costs, but changing deliverables for those costs. Yeah. I'll say a big reason why I think we're not going to see agencies fired left and right is because higher ed still is resource strapped from a talent perspective. And even though AI can make a team of two feel like 20, you still have to learn it and get trained on it and become expert in it. And it's just a whole lot easier still to outsource. So I yeah. I think we're going to start to see the shift next year, but uh, I don't I don't know if uh, the agencies need to be too scared too soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that, Mallory. I think part of the challenge is that higher ed moves glacially slow because of the resource strapped teams that we see every time a new tool or a new resource comes to be, right? And so I think you hit the nail on the head where I think that agencies need to incorporate AI into their processes and find ways to better support their clients because they're going to be looked at as the specialists that are able to do those things, Yeah. right? Whereas the, the admissions teams on campuses, as an example, are still too busy doing their jobs to do their jobs, right? It's really hard for them to wrap their head around that. They'll play with AI, right? And they'll use it in for their day-to-day -day tasks, but to use it for higher level, you know, creative development, content development, I think we're a couple years out from there being enough time to do that. Now, with that said, this season, I've seen a whole lot of like beefed up Santa Claus renderings from like artists who are doing you know, those sorts of things over the holidays. And so again, we're playing with AI in a lot of respects, which leads to having better skills and and doing it well, right? But it's it's going to take a while for for higher ed to to really get there. So I think agencies have an opportunity to own the space and own how it will be integrated into their processes. Um, and I don't think you're going to AI proof your your work. I think it's more AI infusing it that's going to be the the winner of the processes. Yeah, and the future of AI is that it will be baked into the processes and tools that we are using today, but it isn't there yet. And so as we are still reliant on third-party tools like a ChatGPT or a Claude or a Bard or, you know, Midjourney, etc., until those are fully integrated into the tools we're already using, I think that's part of this discussion too. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with you all more here. On this topic, uh, so conversational marketing is is something that's been, it's been around for a while, right? This idea of it being, I feel like like, you know, there was content marketing and then HubSpot came out and they kind of like repackaged it as inbound. They added a couple of like layers and, and differentiators of, of, of how they saw the two as distinct. 
And then conversational marketing sort of came came after as as the rise of, of chatbots became a, a little bit more prevalent as chatbots got smarter, quite frankly, and moved from kind of simple FAQ bots to, you know, truly AI driven conversational tools going into 2024. Uh, I feel like chatbot and AI have sort of become like synonymous. The, their differences are maybe a little bit harder to distill. I mean, I think most people don't think about ChatGPT as a chat bot. And yet, like, from an interface standpoint, it's kind of exactly like what it is. And so, Mallory, what are your thoughts on as this new year? How do you imagine conversational marketing will continue to shake things up? Do you suspect we'll just hear this term come back? Will the term just kind of be replaced with just like AI generative AI strategy from a marketing perspective just includes a tool, which is a chat bot? Like, what are your thoughts on conversational marketing strategy going into 2024. Yeah, I think that proactive engagement is going to become the norm and that it will become that way because it, it will align with the expectations of our audience. A student, whether they are Gen Alpha or you know 75 years old, expects some instant gratification because of the last 15 years of digital experiences. So there's such limited patience now for wait times mm. that in fact, I think it's going to go past that to just the expectation will be proactiveness. And so that as a brand or an institution, we need to move past reactive support and actually initiate proactive conversations with our audience and and anticipate their needs and offer them really timely assistance mm. because we are sitting on all of this behavioral data that now AI can help us parse through and make sense of. So what will that do? That will build better trust and relationships, right? And so it's more than just, you know, selling the academic program or or retention, but it's it's actually building the experience and the rapport with these students uh, to offer them the information in the right place, the right time, and when they need it. And it will require the level of personalization that I think only AI can provide, right? Something that was completely unattainable to us mm. before this very transformational technology uh, became more readily available to the common person. And you mentioned chatbots, but I, I truly do think that's going to be the primary vehicle through which we make all of this a reality. I think they'll become indistinguishable from a human person. And certainly we are already seeing that you know, Element 451 has Boltbot, which is built on the open AI API. And the level of warmth and uh, competency in this chatbot is extremely high mm. to the extent that we have a customer who is getting nearly 80% of their incoming messages completely resolved through this chatbot and the way that people are interacting with it, it is as if they think they are speaking to a human. So it's the evolution of these conversations that AI can provide beyond just simple Q&A that you're like managing in spreadsheets in the back end to the elevation of personalized recommendations and and conveying emotional intelligence and handling very complex inquiries because it's all connected to the information in the back end. Yeah. Gil, any thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I mean, I've got tons of thoughts on this topic. <laughs> I, I think that the word you used at the very beginning of your comment, Mallory, is proactive, right? And I think proactive is a huge element here that I think people might have missed the boat on on their first kind of soiree into using chatbot type technology for engaging with students. And I think, and the other, um, you know, you called it competency. I think precision is another word. If we're going to, I'm going to start to reinvent the three P's mm. of marketing. It's going to be all these other things now, but, you know, being, you know, accurate with the response and also right on time with proactive outreach is a huge element here that I think this 
this approach is going to enable, and you know, when we talked about the you know things that are going to not replace jobs that we thought early on, but it's actually going to create jobs and enhance jobs. Is you know, if I'm if I'm in student affairs and I want to identify the students who are struggling right now and are at risk for you know dropping out, if I have a process where I'm proactively reaching out and checking in with students with a warm interaction that feels like it's a person reaching out, like Mallory mentioned, that's going to be a lot different than just like sending out text alerts and, you know, early alert systems where now I've got, you know, a bunch of information, but no actual insights and I can't take action on any of that. Right. And so I think the precision of that proactive outreach is going to be a huge element that you just can't do as a, a bank of humans pro- trying to identify and reach out to every, you know, everyone that needs your help. You know, I was talking, Mallory, with you about this a couple weeks ago, where there are people in this space that will just literally take the list of all of their current students and start calling them one by one down the list. And, and you know, how do you sort that alphabetically by, you know, birth date? Who knows, right? And so by the time you get to the bottom of the list, you're burned out. You don't reach somebody at that time. That's not a very effective use of your time and you end up getting burned out in that process. Whereas if you have a proactive framework that's reaching out and identifying the students, then you pick up the phone and call those students that are that actually need you to reach out to them. And that's not, you know, that's not turning away students who don't need support. It's prioritizing your time to reach as many students as possible. And I think that's one thing that these types of technologies are going to help us to do is not going to replace the counselor by any means. It's going to double their output because they're going to be a lot more effective at reaching the students that they need to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as you guys are talking, the first thing that comes to my mind in terms of like, you know, proactive and precise, right, is when I like log on to my Amazon account, right, I get these like alerts now that are like, hey, you might be running out of this protein powder or you might be, you know, your your water filter or your refrigerator might need a change, right? Add to cart now, right? And it's it's to your point, it's proactive. And I'm thinking, oh wow, shoot, you're right. Like I am I am running low on this thing. Like, bye, click here, right? And so, you know, I think we're going to see elements of that could just continue to roll into just how we think about student experience, right? These these tools are gonna enable us to be incredibly smarter with who's coming to the site, who who that individual is, what it is that they're looking for at that exact moment. And then also, what are they bound to be looking for the next two, three, and four times they come back to the site? And how do we start that conversation now? So I, I'm just excited because I think like, I, I, I wanted to bring this topic up, Mallory, specifically because I know some listeners have heard about chatbots for years and people have mixed feelings uh, about them. But I, but I really do think the birth of of uh, of ChatGPT, for instance, right, as sort of this this primary foundational layer, to, you know, on, on top of which many of these new kind of twenty twenty four plus chatbots are being built on, it it really does redefine the chat experience. And so, if you're one of those people that have been like, yeah, chatbots all suck, maybe it's worth rethinking that as we as as we step out into the new year. Where do you guys want to go next? We've we've got a lot to talk about here. So Mallory Gill, anything else uh, stand out? So I have a bridge from what you just were talking about to another hot take. Beautiful. I think, you know, you mentioned it, that technology like chatbots has been around for a long time and smart and and the ability to, you know, create a knowledge base and respond to the, the people who don't like those engagements have either interacted with or built and used a bad bot or a bad piece of technology. And so when you have that, that visceral response to this type of technology, it holds you back from seeing, okay, there have been advancements in this space and maybe we should give it a better try, right? And and give it a little more effort now that the technology has improved. And we see that in a lot of things, everything old is new again, Mm. right? Like there's uh, just so many different ways that we tried 10 years ago that was okay, but not great. That is now coming back you know, we see things like direct admission and we see th- that that you know students were creating profiles years ago to try to showcase themselves to schools video is another one right and that's the one i want to talk about for a moment is you know there there's this visceral response from a lot of folks to creating or or hosting either live or creating video content to engage with prospects or engage with alumni and my, my feeling and perspective on that is the people who, the, you know, faculty and administrators who don't like those experiences, a lot of times it was because during the COVID pandemic, they were doing it wrong. And so now they have a feeling of, oh, it doesn't work because I didn't have the, it, it showed that it didn't work. Mm. 
I don't think that, you know, the we're going to we we're going to necessarily see growth in video now that we're in a post pandemic environment and we're in a post, you know, a returning to all of the in-person experiences and outdoor advertising and all the things we talked about at the very beginning. But I do think that there's a there's a certain element of, you know, it's it's not an either or, it's an and when it comes to the these types of approaches, so we're going to incorporate chatbots, we're going to incorporate in-person or display or or however it works. And we're going to see video being incorporated, and maybe we do it in more just more effective ways. Use that, you know, print. Use that awesome gift item that they get in the mail to tell them to go to a landing page where they can then engage with video content or create their own video content, right? And so prompting and using it because I, I don't know, I have an I have an 11 year old daughter that is constantly glued to YouTube on her phone. Don't tell me video is going anywhere. <laughs> it's how we use video is just going to change, and that's that's an element where yeah. um, I, I hear this narrative that you know video is on the decline. But I, it's one of those things where the loudest voices saying video is bad are the ones who have done video bad <laughs> and need to rethink their approach. Yeah, I, I have a little bit of a hot take on this. I I disagree with you in, in the sense that. Let me start where, where where I agree with you, actually. So I agree with you, video is not going away and users' expectations and, and consumption of video is only going to increase. I think with respect to higher ed, though, the big problem is that at scale, I like I have not seen an institution be able to produce quality content at the scale required, I think, right, for what this next generation of, of students expects. So your daughter, Gil, right? I imagine the YouTube videos that, that she's watching are probably like pretty well produced, pretty, you know, highly edited, even if it's just a YouTuber in their, in, in their, uh, you know, studio closet or whatever, producing the content. This content is optimized for every possible like second, right? And every possible frame is thought about and obsessed over. And I, I, I don't know, I guess like my hot take is maybe one of the reasons we haven't seen video take off at scale is that by the time higher ed gets, you know, it's ducks in a row and 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 we're we're producing content, we're producing video content, it's it's so like cringy and almost like outdated already that students it, it is video and it is a format that they alike and appreciate, but the quality of the content is so far from the quality of con video content they're used to consuming on uh, in other mediums that it just it feels it feels weird it feels disingenuous and so anyways my hot take here is i actually think unless you have the internal resources to produce video content like a youtuber i actually think your time is probably better spent thinking about okay how do we not break into this medium or this channel and instead disrupt one that's maybe a little bit easier to 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 break through on. And so I think our earlier conversation around like rethinking non-digital experiences in and rethinking how do we how do we disrupt the mailbox so to speak? I think that that's probably a better strategy for most people. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but like I really I really think that that's probably realistically a better strategy for most people because I just don't think that higher ed has the resources to produce the kind of video content that is is what is standard and expected from not just like Gen Alpha, not just Gen Z, but even like even like millennials and, and, and Gen X, like the, the, the kind of content that we expect, the rate at which that content has to be produced and the quality of that content, all the, the caliber is just rising. Um, anyway, sorry, that was a little bit of a soapbox moment. I want to I want to let Mallory chime in because I know she has some <laughs> thoughts, but I'll just provide a quick retort is we just spent a good amount of time talking about how AI can help advance enhance people's time and their use of their time. There are AI tools that they we can use for video production and for video editing that could help to increase the rapid pace that that content is needed. And if a high school student in their closet is creating this quality of content, maybe professionals who are paid to do this can carve out some time to learn and level up their strategy a little quicker, right? So I think that I'm, I'm with you that I don't, I, if, if you're creating content that's cringy and, you know, not going to provide a good, or I guess my daughter would call it sus, right? So we have sus content. There you go. Sus content. Yeah. So I think if, if it's sus content, then it's not going to hit the mark, but you've got multiple audiences to think about too. We're talking about students here. There's alumni development and there's, you know, engaging those audiences. 
put some effort in where it needs to be. And I think just video is not going away. I think we can all agree on that. And it's not necessarily being replaced. It's just becoming a tool in the toolkit, just like every other channel that we use. And we just have to use it the right way. Have you guys ever seen like a reel or a TikTok produced by an institution that you were like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Not because you're inside, you know, industry people and you know, like, oh, I've seen a thousand horrible ones and this one's like not half bad. But have you ever seen a short form piece of video content from a school that you were actually wowed by? Because I haven't, I literally haven't. And I had spent a lot of time following a lot of schools on these accounts. And I, I tell you, 90% of the content, if not more, Gil, is sus. Like it's it's just not good. It's so weird. Now, where, where schools do have the edge, right? Like I think about Purdue, I think about, you know, Ethan Braden, who him and his team produced an incredible, incredible brand video, right? And and so there are examples of that at, at that, you know, at, at the institutional level. But I don't know, I just, I don't know, I, I, yeah. We always get to the point where institutions try to own the narrative and students are their stories, not the, yeah. not the admissions officer doing their pitch via video. And there's even platforms that allow them to do that now. Hey, introduce yourself to, to students by doing your pitch video. That's not going places. It's, it's the content that, you know, showcasing this, the, the student perspective and the student voice, just like we tried to do with blogs 15 years ago, right? Is allow the, the student TikToker to come on and share their experience is a lot more authentic. And that's that's what students are looking for. They're not, and again, this is this is not new advice, right? Students want authentic content. Um, and for the podcast <laughs> listeners, Mallory's been waiting patiently. She's got a thousand ideas I'm seeing on the webcam. So she's ready to just drop a mic on us. So I'll shut up. Please, Mallory. Video is my favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> From literally like day one being employed on a campus and having like a flip camera thing and having to go figure it out myself. I will put a stake in the ground on video forever because I think it is the best way that we can communicate about the vibrancy and experience on our campus. If I am a higher ed marketer in 2024, I'm doing three things with video. One, I am making sure that I do have a beautiful updated signature piece that I have invested some money into, similar to that beautiful print booklet we were talking about earlier. Like there can be so many ways that you can utilize a really well done video for your institution. You can cut it up into small clips. You can, you know, play it as students are coming into your admissions office. You can put it all over the internet. Uh, I think that making sure that that is up to date and is really highlighting the real experience of your campus, that's number one. Number two, I would invest in working with a production company that allows for personalized videos at scale, whether your use case is recruitment, enrollment, or fundraising or friend raising. There are companies out there that can pull from your CRM database, create all sorts of personalized videos that you can send one-to-one -to, -one to your audience. And the results on this type of strategy are really impressive. I was speaking with one company just a couple weeks ago that has data showcasing that the students at their customer institutions are 8x more likely to enroll when they get these types of videos and that they can impact everything from like completion of apps all the way to fundraising big dollars with donors. The methodology in these situations is around segments and sequences, and it's essentially like just, you know, pre-rendering all of these variations of thousands of unique videos and putting them together so that the individual on the other end feels like this is a totally custom experience for them. That's two. Number three, I would go and find all of the very talented creators on my campus who are students, and I would hire them. I would not be wasting my staff's time trying to train up on creating short form video content. I think that is like, my prediction is like, we will continue to see the short form video explosion happen in 2024. And if I'm trying to reach uh, prospective or current students or even alumni, I am going to go employ the students on the campus. It will be our favorite A word, more authentic. 
These are students who have been doing this for potentially years and years. Um, then they are already trained. They already have their processes. They already have their equipment. And it is now just a matter of giving them the right themes and topics. And you're helping them by giving them some money in their pocket. But I think if you combine those three things, you know, investment in that big campus piece, the personalized video experience, and then the short form experience that is led by your campus creators. I think that's the winning strategy for video in the next year. Well, that was a mic drop indeed. <laughs> Again, if you if you can do that, if and if you, if you do all of that, please, please go do all of that. And, and, and don't revert to spending that time developing the next big print piece. I'm just maybe, and I, I am an eternal like optimist, but when it comes to video and higher ed, for whatever reason, I'm just, I'm just a little bit of a, a, a pessimist here. I think it boils down to if just because we haven't gotten it right yet doesn't mean that we shouldn't be trying and doing it right. Amen. Right? There's enough examples out there of this working well. We, we just need to do it right. And I think that's higher ed has gotten by by doing things not necessarily completely right. In a, via a lot of channels for a long time. Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of institutions that have been doing print terribly for years, <laughs> yeah. but we're, we're still saying you should do a, a quality print piece that's going to stand out and it's going to be, you know, a piece that, that grabs attention and is, that is impactful. Right. And so video is just another channel that they, we need to, we need to focus on doing well. And if we do, then it's less sus and it's going to provide more quality outcomes. I, uh, we, we've got a, probably time for a couple couple last topics here before we wrap. One of the things I really, really want your guys' thoughts on is the idea of like personalization, right? Like, so we, we've kind of, we touched on this a little bit earlier when we were talking about like chatbots and, and proactive communication, but like personalized communications has been something that literally like Kyra has talked about for well over a decade, right? Um, this idea that, beyond just personalization tokens, right, in, in email, the idea of creating content that's specific for your your specific target student personas, et cetera. Like, you, you, you go back in the library of AMA content or NACAC content or NACA, any any conference's content, and you'll see a lot on personalized communications. Where do you guys think we're at with with personalization? Like, have we have we reached sort of like, you know, a, a, a peak point? There are privacy, you know, concerns, obviously, that are, are, are gaining a little bit more and more attention with respect to how schools are leveraging prospective and, and current student data to facilitate these personalized experiences. Where are we at with respect to personalization in, in communications and, and how do we how do we see this moving into 2024 and beyond like what will be the new standard of personalization yeah i had a few marketers on the fyi podcast a few weeks back and we we taught at allison tercio who hosts a podcast on the enrollify network was one of them and she had really great insights where we focused on personalization is not dear first name right that's that is a mail merge that everyone should be able to do and it still gets me irrationally angry when i see we're not even doing that basic level of quote-unquote personalization personalization is more about going back to the proactive nature and going back to the in the the precision nature that we can do with these with this type of technology is you know, it goes back to the whole idea of I, I used to call this big brother admissions, right? We don't we don't want to just be reaching out and saying, hey, Zach, I noticed that you were on our financial aid page last night at 1130. <laughs> Can I help you with applying for a scholarship? That's creepy in nature and it's over the top, right? I think it's more about using that as a trigger and there's technology and, you know, every CRM to be able to do this at some point to say, you know, the person visited this page, let's put them on a calm stream that connects them with resources and follows up in an appropriate time with appropriate messaging. And it goes back to everything we talked about. And he said, and I feel like every single topic we've said, higher ed's been talking about this for years. Yeah. So my bold prediction is we're going to continue to talk about these topics for years. That's going to be the next, um, that we'll, we'll, t we'll re circle back to this next year. But I think it's a matter of personalization is about the experience, not the not the mail merged content that we can just put in, right? And it has to do with, you know, providing meaningful resources at the right time to the right students 
via the right channels from the right senders. And that's a lot of rights to get right. And I've said that probably way too many times on way too many podcasts over the years, but it's true. And it's still to this day, that's going to be the level of personalization that people expect. And I think we've we we've passed the point of dear first name being an acceptable level of personalization. That's as Mallory likes to say, table stakes for, for those types of interactions. We've got to do more with the cadence and the quality and the timing than, than we have. And that's where personalization is going to go. My two cents is that the majority of higher ed institutions are not set up with the right MarTech stack in order to actually enable personalization. So Mm. where will we be a year from now? We'll still be talking about how we need to do better with personalization. And again, it goes back to AI being this very transformational piece of technology. It is more realistic now than ever before that the new standard could be hyper-personalization maybe a month or two ago, I took to LinkedIn to actually say like, my hot take is individualization is the new personalization. Mm. Like we have the technology that should allow us to do that one-to-one communication, whether that's through a text message, an email, a video, whatever that medium may be. But I don't think that I would include in my 2024 predictions that hyper-personalization is going to be achieved in our industry. And the biggest reason for that going back to the the technology stack, you know, our colleagues in marketing and admissions and enrollment, unfortunately, are on tools that are, you know, maybe built in the 90s, still look like it, still function like it, haven't adopted the AI capabilities Mm. at any pace, not just a rapid pace. And I think that's going to really hinder the industry's ability to move quickly on this. We all can sit here and agree we should be doing it, but it's not going to be possible until our technology gets an upgrade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more there. And I guess, I guess the big question that looms over over my head is, again, from a resources perspective, right? Is it better to like half-ass personalization and and maybe you include beyond, you know, the table stakes of the first name, a couple of other like points of, oh, you know, Zach likes this. And we also know that he's interested in studying business and, and, and you, you craft a communication strategy for Zach and, and students like Zach with a couple of additional points of, of, of quote unquote personalization, is time better spent doing that at scale or is time better spent figuring out how do we tell incredible aspirational stories that regardless of who is viewing this communication, it resonates because it's moving, right? Because it's inspirational, because it's aspirational. So it, it, it's almost like, you know, do more communications actually need to be brand communications than they need to be like personalized marketing program specific communications, right? I don't know. I, I don't I don't have the answer other than I think that the personalized communications that I receive from from the vast majority of brands feel not personalized because I can tell I can tell like where they are splicing in the personalization. And if I can tell that I, I really do believe this next generation of students can tell that. Right. Um, and, and so anyways, I, I just, I don't have the answer, but I wonder if from a resources perspective, I wonder if time is better spent investing more in story-driven aspirational content, like Nike, Nike ads, for example, right. Regardless of if you run or not, like people, people get moved by Nike ads. Like they're, they're inspirational. The story is so great. Like, what does that mean in, in your context? What does that mean when you're writing that email? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I did. But I think that that question is probably worth wrestling with with most folks, because especially if you are a resource strapped team, which most of you listening to this podcast probably identify in, in that way, that could be a hot take uh, to wrestle with this next year is what if we focus less on increasing personalization and more on increasing aspiration you know, and inspiration in our communications? And let's nail that because we don't have that MarTech stack yet. You will need that eventually. Like, don't, don't I don't want anyone to hear me wrong, right? This is not the end, but I, but I wonder if this is sort of like the next step that most, most should take. Yeah, go ahead, Gail, sorry. And I think just, I, I think we're, the road you're going down is also being super precise 
that's the word of the day, super precise <laughs> with your audience segmentation, right? And understanding their needs and their persona, mm. right? Um, hey, another P word, persona. So the I, I think we get to a point where you have to know your institution, you have to know the students who are there and the alumni who are there and what kind of content resonates with that audience because you can't mass market your college. You shouldn't try to mass market your college. Yeah. You should identify, especially, you know, in student recruitment, right? There's, you know, when you're building your your audience pools, whether it's for digital campaigns or list buys, right? You have the ability to segment that audience and then create that piece that tells your story in a way that, you know, resonates to a student who would be interested in going to a large flagship public versus a regional public versus your small liberal arts college in the north woods of minnesota right your brand resonates differently depending on the type of school you are yeah and you've got to tell that story in an effective way versus trying to do mass market programming right and so even when you do like you said create one piece to kind of rule them all it should still be built in a way that it, the messaging is targeted to the types of students who attend your institution. And that takes a little bit of research internally, your agency or not, right? You've got opportunities to improve your messaging and then create those pieces. So again, we're, you know, when we talk about the use of video or the use of AI, like that's that, those are tools that we use to generate those, those resources. But we got to know our why first, right? And we've got to know the, the why students choose our institution and double down on that messaging. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, thank you so much for for taking the time. Mallory, Gil, it's been such a pleasure, as always, chatting with you guys. Thanks for engaging in this conversation. For our listeners, uh, I highly recommend you connect with both Mallory and Gil. If you're not already connected with them, I'll have links to their LinkedIn profiles in the show notes below. Also links to their respective websites and other resources should you wish to connect with them further. Mallory, Gil, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it, Zach. Thank you. This was fun. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Enrollify podcast. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month and we've got a plethora of marketing and missions and higher technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks, all designed to empower you to be a better higher ed professional. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea and feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. You can learn from Jamie Hunt, Allison Tercio, Artist Cadu, Day Kibbles, Dustin Ramsdale, Terry Flannery, and so many other of your favorite leaders in higher ed. Enrollify is made possible by Element 451, the leading AI-powered CRM for higher education. Learn more about how to leverage technology to engage the next generation of students in the ways that they want to be engaged at element451.com.